So joining Alex and myself today is Jenny Hung, Chief Impact Officer and Co-Founder at Logan Todd & Co, creating a fairer society one project at a time. And Chen is also the Process Mining Lead for AnalystX. Chen started her career in operational restructuring, which meant she worked with companies to improve their operations and sometimes redesign their operations. The first project in the UK was the administration of Lehman Brothers, the largest ever administration in the world. Following, she's been very lucky to work on and lead on other iconic projects, including supporting the WHO manage their volunteer recruitment on the first Ebola outbreak and designing the first digital operator model for healthcare in the military. Chen also spent most of her career supporting the NHS design target operator models to deliver better outcomes for patients and their workforce. She believes it's important to empower the NHS grow their own skill sets to revolutionise their relationship with technology, their patients and their workforce, and to be less reliant on expensive external consultancies. And we'll hear more about that later during the podcast. Chen also leads currently the Analyst XX process mining community of, of best practice, uh, providing well-established analytical techniques uh, in the private sector to manage complex processes in the NHS. Since COVID, Chen has also started working with her local community to tackle poverty and health inequalities in her role as a local citizen advice to drive partnership working and the adoption of technology and insights to improve lives. Originally from Singapore and in a very sporty and competitive family, uh, when we briefly spoke, uh, Chen described herself as an annoying person who's always asking why, and she's a firm believer that we should always be learning something new, something we can get myself and Alex totally concur with. So welcome, Chen. We're absolutely delighted to have you join AMX Speaker Podcast. Oh, thank you. Lovely to be here. Brilliant. And Chen, on with our most important uh, question we always ask our guests on on Fika. It's all about coffee and a cake with friends. What would be your preference, tea or coffee, and what's your favourite cake? Fika, so it's got to be coffee. Um, In terms of cakes, I I just, I love cakes. So that's a really tough one. Uh, So I would say any cake without any dried fruit, because... I swear to you, there's a Christmas pudding somewhere that has survived two house moves with me. It's still not been touched. <laughs> yeah. Now, Chen, we ha- you have got to be a little bit more specific about coffee because there are so many different types now. So can you define a little bit further about what type of coffee do you like? Just in case if people are listening and wanted to buy you a coffee next time when they meet you. Do you know, I would normally order a cappuccino, but there's this really... It sounds disgusting. It's a drink we have in Asia where there's like a mixture of coffee and tea. I love that. I I I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Inyong, right? So it's yes, like the Ying and the Yang. Yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. I'm gonna have to try that when we meet. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's had a quiet taste. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, thanks for sharing that, Chen. And, and Chen. On, on that sort of our first question, you know, Alice has been really keen to hear about your career because when we, we, we spoke last year, you had a fascinating uh, sort of journey, especially from that learning perspective. Would you be able to sort of walk us through your sort of career today and some of the sort of key insights you've picked up and share with our listeners? It'd be fantastic. Yeah, I guess I can't avoid talking about my big four experiences because I spend so many years working for these large corporates and you know, when you work for these big corporates, you really get an opportunity to work on a wide range of projects. And what you learn, um, or I learn personally, is that I just struggled to conform to one big corporate culture. 
um, because I was just naturally curious about learning to do things differently, learning about new things. So as you would expect, you can't have a big corporate that has many different ways of doing things. It's just it doesn't work like that. But that that's me. So I needed to go and find people that were constantly looking to break the mold. Um, yeah, so so I'm basically a rebel, I guess, like most people I've met on Analyst X. So it's lovely to be in the right family. Um, so I guess the lesson learned from um, working with corporates is that you really shouldn't be afraid to go on an adventure, take a leap. Um, you know, which was what I did because following that, it was quite extreme. So I went from this massive corporate to joining a really small startup. And when I first joined the startup, there were probably like 13 of us. It was really small. Um, but what it allowed me to do was to focus on what I believed in um, and the sort of things that I wanted to work on that would make a real difference to the public sector. And that was really focused around digital transformation and advanced analytics. So I spent close to two years working with the military to completely redesign um, their healthcare model and to rethink how does technology play a part in their healthcare. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was it was it was challenging. It was difficult. The people I worked with were really scary. You know, there were like three star generals, two star generals, and it's like you know it could be quite daunting um, speaking to these people. But yeah, no, I, abs- I absolutely loved it. I'm sure we can talk more about that experience. Um, and then, and then working in a startup gave me a different perspective into the business side of things. So when you work in a big corporate, you don't normally see what happens, you know, in the background, but when you work in a small startup, you kind of have to put on many hats and really think about, okay, how, how, how do I make this business work? Um, and it is, it is freaking difficult. Um, I know you're laughing because it's like, well, you know, obviously. Um, but as I said, I'm annoying and I'm, I'm the sort of person that just got to learn by experience. Uh, I feel it's important to just put yourself in, in those shoes and then, you know, gain that experience yourself. Um, so what did I do? I realized it was really difficult and decided to um, start Logan Todd at the start of the pandemic. Um, and for me, it was really focused about being a not-for-profit because, you know, I don't want to have to think about growing a business. I don't want to have to think about, oh, you know, what's the next growth target or how much profit do we have to make or who do I have to hire? We're kind of more like, you know, volunteers, you know, so people I work with volunteer to work on, I say volunteer, I mean, they come together because they want to work on things that matter to them. So we share the same values, we share the same objectives and we, you know, and, and nobody gets upset if, you know, whatever we're doing currently doesn't suit them. That's great. They, they can walk away. So that's kind of like the model um, that I'm now very comfortable and very happy with. I might, I might I might change my mind after I learn something else, but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where that's I am. It's, it's finding that alignment, isn't it, of people that have got the same values set as yourself. That's fantastic. Oh, well, thank you, Jen, for sharing that with us. 
Um, Chand, um, you mentioned earlier that you work in a um, healthcare in the military and you said that you want you know, like you're going to actually um, share this um, with our um, listener. But I think I'm sure that you know, our listener will be really interested. So you said it was a great experience. I'm interested. What makes it so brilliant? When you think of the military, or at least when I thought of the military, it was like, yeah, command and control. Yes, there's a lot of that. There is a lot of that in particular, if you think about the main job of the military is to go into battle. And when you go into battle, you really cannot afford to make mistakes. Um, You cannot afford to not follow command and you cannot afford to be unpredictable. So you've got to be very predictable. So they have command and control, um, I guess, rules of engagement that is predictable. So it enables them to do all the planning and all that kind of stuff. But they have this famous saying, right? So the military has loads of these sayings, which I absolutely love. And one of my favorite was, no plan survives first contact. Okay, so you can have the most complex plan in the world. Just expect that, you know, when the first missile hits you or the first bullet is fired, suddenly you have to change. So actually in the military, they are extremely agile extremely adaptable, you know, and they really force themselves to think on their feet. Um, Obviously, I didn't go into battle with them, so I didn't actually, you know, experience what it was like on the battlefield. Um, And I ended up obviously working with them, what they would call, I guess, um, is that base. And it's, it's just amazing the amount of knowledge that they have in terms of, um, you know, the people that I work with, you know, they they go through a lot of training. Um, I don't mean training as in military training. I mean, training as in, you know, business training, leadership training, strategy training. They're just, they, they're fantastic. There isn't any methodology that I could tell them about, speak to them about that they don't already know. They'd be like, oh yeah, it's agile. Oh yeah, it's lean. Oh yeah, it's, you know, scrum. It's, it's whatever. It's like, it it's phenomenal. So, um. That kind of, firstly, I was amazed, incredibly impressed. Um, But then the other thing that I was really impressed by is even though there's a lot of hierarchy and there's a lot of, you know, so-and-so is this position or whatever position, when you see in a meeting room and you're discussing something that is important or, you know, that has an impact on, you know, their people, they're very passionate and they're very upfront and honest about their opinions. So, we regularly have conversations where, you know, it, it, somebody has a completely different opinion about something. They're not worried to state it. So you, so I've heard this term recently in another podcast about disagreeing agreeably, and, and we seem to be, you know, there's there's less and less of that. People get really extreme. They get really upset, and then people get kicked out. So. I don't know. It's it's not it's not a good way to go. I think there's a lot to learn in the ability for us to disagree agreeably, but also giving people the opportunity to actually say something different. You know, it's 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 good to to listen to different opinions, I guess. So for me, I think that's what makes them brilliant. 
I think, I mean, I, it's true that um, until you work in the industry or organisation, you don't really know about what it's like. It's always the image that it was given or portrayed, you know, like, and say military, it has to be very straight and it has to be very structured. It has to be this. So, you know, like, so it is, you know, like the knowledge that you work in different industry and then, and then um, um, potentially the projects that you lead on. So understand, understandingly that you have worked and led on a lot of iconic project including supporting the WHO managing volunteer um, volunteer uh, recruitment on the first Ebola outbreak um, what, um and that's like um, and designed the digital operating model for healthcare in the military what insight what ex what excitement and what, what what information you can share how did you how did you get involved and what did you deliver in that project there so those two projects and some of the projects I deliver, it's it's huge. So the project team will be like north of like 50 people at any point in time. So both client site plus our site is massive. And the honest truth is, it's, it's not anything super intelligent, but the honest truth is you really need to bring as wide a range of skills, of views, um, of different experiences. So the more diverse you can make your team, the better. So I'm not just talking about technical skill sets. So we'll start thinking, oh, you know, if you're running a massive, say I'm redesigning a target operating model, oh, you need people process technology. So you need to bring these expertise in. Yes, you need that. Absolutely. So that's obvious. You need to have the experts in a room. But you also need business users. You need people that are actually going to be impacted by these changes. So you need the front line. You need the managers, you need the accountants, you need people that write business cases, you need, you know, it's just the comms director, you know, just all sorts of, you know, different um, people with different perspectives that you probably haven't thought of, um, but also the different experiences they've had. So I've had a very, so when you say, so people say, oh yeah, you're a management, uh, you're a management consultant. And then they have this like view that, oh, this is what to expect of a management consultant. But we are very, very different. Um, so I've had very different experience. You know, somebody else will have a very different experience. And these experiences, you know, when you add them all out, it suddenly becomes quite powerful. Um, and, and I always feel like the worst thing that can happen on any large project is this echo chamber effect. You know, where everybody's like, yeah, 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 of course, this is, yeah, this is the right way to do it. Or if you don't say, you don't get an opportunity to to, to say, hey, you know, maybe you haven't thought about this. Um, so I would say embrace the rebels, embrace the people that want to be different or are difficult. Um, so the test I always give myself is, you know, if I can convince the most challenging person in the room that what I'm trying to do is to make things better, then it gives me a lot of confidence that, okay, yeah, we're sort of on the right track. You know, no, nothing is 100% perfect, but at least, you know, if the most difficult and most challenging person in the room is going, okay, fine, I get it, then, you know, on to a winner. Brilliant, isn't it? It's that thing about, you mentioned getting that, um, you said earlier, that agreeing disagreeability in that space and that diversity, absolutely key, isn't it? It's so easy to have that echo chamber effect, isn't it? You feel quite comfortable. It's a safe space operating. That's fantastic advice. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good. And Chen, I understand you're currently the, the lead of Anstex on the process mining community of practice, uh, which is really a uh, powerful sort of uh, 
you said that you can use, you know, bringing well-established skills from the private sector to sort of help the NHS manage projects. Would you be able to expand on, on the analytical technique that you were talking about there that for our listeners? And, you know, if someone was looking, I, I think you mentioned as well that you're using this to support elective recovery. Um, so if they're interested, where would they begin? And, and why is it so powerful? So what process mining was developed to do was to analyse um, really complex processes. So think very, very complex supply chain. So how does Coke get a can of Coke to the deepest, darkest Peru? You know, just think of all the challenges. So the making of the bottle, you know, the the, the actual Coke itself, the factory, all the raw materials, and then think of the distribution that's happened. It would have, you know, to get I mean, I'm assuming that there's no big Coke plan in Peru. Um, assuming there isn't, um, you, you know, it'll go by boat, it'll go potentially by train, it'll go by truck. You know, it's really, really complex. So um, big organizations are always trying to streamline their processes, you know, and improve that. And it's really difficult to understand it um, without, I guess, you know, it's a lot of data, a lot of mining, a lot of disparate events happening across systems. So process mining was really discovered or at least, you know, created to help them visualize what is happening through these processes. So in terms of the NHS, it really makes sense because what it will give you is a roadmap of the patient journey. It shows you where the pathway divides, how often each steps occurs so you the volume of the of of a particular activity and then how long it takes to go from one process to the next so you're already thinking oh how can i reduce the wait time across the entire journey so that's why i think it's been very successful in helping us understand um, patient journeys um in terms of um the uh, elective recovery focus it was just you know, when I work with the NHS, elective recovery was one of those things that just like, you know, for me, it's, it's one. NHS is probably the only place in the in the world that has this elective recovery pathway as such as 18 week RTT is very complex. Um, I was just just doing some training on it. And it's like, Jesus Christ, it's really complex. Um, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And I always find it really strange that we're trying to analyze and create insights from it using Excel spreadsheets. It's just as complex as the supply chain that I just mentioned in many ways. And yet we haven't given, you know, the NHS the right tools or, 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 or given them the right capability to, to manage these complex processes so it's like really stressful for people on the ground you know trying to just we do bits of it but not the it, but not the whole thing so they have to cut it down so i understand why the nhs works in little silos because it's yeah. really complex patient pathways and and the silo enables them to just focus on their little bit um but yeah so anyway so i always thought it was really strange so it just so happens that during covid while everyone was like focused around the immediate you know, life-saving activity that I was thinking, oh no, you know, elective recovery is going to be kind of the most long-standing challenge that we will be having. So I did start applying process mining 
onto kind of elective recovery to begin with. And I mean, we've come a long way since then. You know, when I first started, there was probably like, I don't know, not many process mining examples um, in healthcare, like four or five maybe. And now there's, there's more that's it's quite encouraging. So, so yeah, so it's, for me, it's, it, it, it's very exciting. I can talk about it all day, but exactly. I won't. <laughs> and Chen, is it, is it, was, you've, got, you've got a page, I think, haven't you, on LSX, which is sort of introduced yes. people if they're really interested to follow up on it. Yeah, yeah. And so far, we've applied it to loads of different use cases, and it's not failed us. I mean, that, that I have spent three weeks scratching my head for ages on a data model um, before we could get any insights. But, um, you know, we're talking weeks, not months and years, which... You know, in the NHS, you could literally sit there for months and years, you know, um, trying to work something out. But but with process mining, that's the other cool thing about process mining. You could do it in days or minutes or, you know, depending on um, your data model. So, yeah, so it is really exciting. Yeah, I've been I've been working with Chen for the last well a year and a bit to actually build up the momentum on the um, learning of process mining and the capability etc. And I mean, I can see the powerful and the usefulness for the health and care sector. And I mean, I, if anybody wanted to learn more about it or be involved, please get in touch with Chen or myself um, through Analyst Text. And we are in the process of building a centre of excellence to um, enable or empowered our workforce to understand more about process mining. Now, talking about empowerment Chen um one of the agenda that we have on the analyst text is very much on professionalization our workforce and empowering uh, our own staff to grow their own skills and revolutionize their relationship with technology their patients and also workforce and be less resilient on some expensive external resources that we are always looking at getting what should we begin or or what should we begin to, to accelerate this in your opinion so there's there's been a recent review um into the public sector about how policy is not being made into action or that it takes a really long time for policy to you know become action and then deliver some outcomes um i'm not surprised because uh, I get frustrated with that. You get frustrated with that. Everyone in the NHS gets frustrated with that. So it's really easy to say, and I myself very guilty of saying this, is that, well, that's because that's just a lack of investment to do delivery. Yep. So it's very easy for us to say, oh, yeah, you know, new policies require things to change, requires investment into things. And, you know, we haven't got that to deliver. That's why it's so slow. Um. But I feel that potentially, you know, we should be focusing less on the one-off project skill set capability investment. And it should be focused around a program of upskilling um, the NHS, you know, for the future in the long term. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like, oh, you know, we all have to have project management skills or we all have to have, you know, very specific skill set. It's it's about um, exposing the NHS to, I guess, many different ways of working. When you say modernizing the NHS, it's not just giving them technology, but it's also helping them change their mindset. So whenever you have um, a problem, 
a lot of, I guess, people that I work with at the front line, they wouldn't immediately think, um, you know, can I get some data and can I interrogate some data and work out potentially what the problem might be? They a lot of times wait for someone to tell them, hey, you're not performing here and then go, all right, OK, here's the here's a problem I need to solve. But if they had the skill set and they thought about how data and technology could change their, you know, the way they work, then they would start to think very differently about how they should be prioritizing, you know, the improvements they need to make. Um, I mean, if if I ask somebody, how do you ensure that um you know, when so so say somebody who's doing booking for patients on elective recovery, when you ask them, okay, how do you ensure that you are applying the RTT rules correctly, accurately, and you know, equally to everyone? A lot of people will say, oh yeah, you know, they need more training. That's obviously yes, they need to be trained, but a lot of this are rules based. So anything that's rules based could be built into a tool that would support them you know with the booking rules and they are there are tools out there that you know i'm not saying they're good or bad or it doesn't matter but for me it's just the whole thinking that actually surely is one of those things that technology can solve so for me it's 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 upskilling in that way so you're getting the workforce to think very differently ask different questions so that they themselves are pushing for innovation they themselves are thinking hang on a minute, this must be able to be done differently. Um, so I think if we rethink the way we, you know, the experiences, the work experiences that we give these people um, to, 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 you know, our NHS colleagues, it's just public sector in general, I think we will make a huge difference. Um, yeah. I guess, I mean, like, that's part of what in the introduction to, and, you know, like you said, you're annoying because you keep asking and say, why, why, why? <laughs> and the why somehow, you know, like could be challenged to how or what. Yes. And that's the, you know, that's the part that, you know, like a lot of um, our our listener or our workforce should be looking at and say, you know, like, why are we doing it in the traditional way? Can we improve it using technology? Can we improve it using, um, you know, upscaling of our professional and then or the, or the or professional uh, or our workforce and then even you know looking at how you know like the the how of you know like what is out there so i mean like this is linking it quite closely to something that we always you know like or we started to look at what is the entry level of some of the learning and areas that we wanted people to understand how do you get involved with some of the technology and development of digital um skills then looking at broaden what is out there what is capable what is how is that going to improve the workforce and also their knowledge and also improving um like the 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 digital literacy part of it is how to senior leadership or non-data and analytics profession to understand data then to deepens to understand more and become a, a subject matter expert in those area there yeah i'm nodding yes Thank you, Chen. I think we're, we're finally up I think, on, on time now. But just, just to recap, no, thank you for joining Alex and myself. It's really been really insightful. And just recapping, I think what you made some really good points, you know, embracing your, your, your own rebel inside and don't be afraid of, of, of the adventure that you're going to go on. I think it's a really, really key message as well. 
And then I think you, you mentioned also the importance of finding people with the same values and objectives. So, you know, finding that sort of allegiance. And I, I really like the piece about, you know, <clears throat> doing those big, massive programs that you've picked up from the military, that that comment you made about no plan survives the first contact and being that agile, you know, having that agility. I think the NHS has got an awful lot to sort of pick up on that because we things are changing very quickly. We've got a lot of challenges. But I like that piece about, wasn't it, agreeing, disagreeability, which is really, really good. I think getting different opinions and being really diverse, we can't can't encourage that enough. And I think, you know, uh, Peter mentioned about those big projects, about the more diverse you are, don't become that echo chamber, really, really valid. And then the piece, I think, about on the process mining piece, you know, encourage everybody to check in on Alice next and see the great work you and the team have done there as well, which is really, really good. And the professionalisation about, you know, challenging, rethinking what you do, ask questions, be like yourself, but, uh, you know, be curious uh, and rethink the experience when people come and join the NHS. You know, we don't want more of the same. We want people with very different, diverse thinking. But uh, thank you. It's been really inspiring. Great to have you on board. And the final question before you dash off, your very busy week that you have. Uh, how do you relax outside of uh, the work that you do? I love being outdoors. Sports is a massive part of my life. Uh, so I've played very competitively, you know, throughout my childhood. I spend more time at the swimming pool than um, probably in school. Um, but yeah, for, you know, it goes back to, again, you know, picking up on different experiences. So I, I love traveling. I love seeing different things. I love experiencing different things. And I love meeting just different people. Um, yeah, they. I mean, yeah, for, for me, you know, learning will be an eternal job. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. A, it's a day to day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And, and Chen, I have people follow you on the LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you have a handle that we can follow you on? Uh, just LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Not Twitter, I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm not very uh, social media savvy, unfortunately. Fantastic. Well, listen, wonderful. And thank you again for, for joining us on FICA. No thank worries, you. thank you. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.